0: it's tech biter worldwide i'm bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes that's because we leave out the sports most of the jingles the weather and the commercials podcast number 400 for july 6th 2014 This week, the first look at Adobe's Creative Cloud 2014 shows that it's both gigantic and mobile. If you're ready for a summer road trip, maybe it's time to consider in-car Wi-Fi. And in short circuits, rumors that Google will kill the Nexus seem to be incorrect. The FTC says that T-Mobile and Amazon have charged people for things they didn't buy. Facebook admits a failure of communication but says there was nothing wrong with its manipulation of users, and Canada's new anti-spam law increases spam, at least for the short term. I have to admit something really embarrassing. After Adobe updated all of the applications to Creative Cloud 2014, I didn't see any differences. Then I realized the updates didn't update the icons that I had pinned to the taskbar. Once I figured that out, I started seeing changes. Lots of changes. It's clear that Adobe's developers have been busy, and they've delivered a lot of big new features. This year's big winner might be Muse. As with many Adobe applications, the first couple of versions act as kind of a proof of concept and the beginning point on a road map that stretches to the distant future. I wasn't impressed by the initial release of Muse, just as I wasn't really impressed by the first release of Lightroom. Well, Lightroom is now an indispensable tool for photographers, and I have a feeling that Muse is going to be highly popular with website designers, even if they use it just as a tool for storyboarding site plans. Visual designers who don't want to learn complex programming techniques are going to love it. But that is not this week's topic. Muse has advanced so much that I've been able to make my way through only about, oh, maybe a third of the program's features. Muse is going to be a big story, but not today. Today, it's time to look at some of the mobile apps that Adobe has released for Apple computers. Those of us who use Android devices are just going to have to wait a little bit longer, but iPad users are going to have a lot of fun while being productive with some new tools. The images you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website are from an iPad that Adobe loaned me for a few days, and they wanted me to get an idea of how the mobile apps function. I can tell you they function very well. This isn't quite enough for me to make a trip to the Apple store, but It is enough to make me wish fervently that Adobe's product managers will decide soon that users of Android devices deserve to have these tools, too. Photoshop Mix is, from my perspective, the most interesting of the new mobile apps. That's because it gives users the ability to review and modify photos, photos that are stored on desktop systems, and then synchronized to a Creative Cloud account. You can do all of this on an Apple tablet or phone. The changes made there can be synchronized back through the cloud to the desktop. Additionally, any photos taken with the tablet or the phone can be included in the automatic synchronization. Photoshop Mix is not the full Photoshop application, but it does include some of the most common features, such as increasing or decreasing exposure, contrast, clarity, and saturation. And some of the high-powered features have been added from Photoshop. These include upright to straighten images, shake reduction to reduce the effects of blur caused by camera movement, and content-aware fill to permit the removal of unwanted objects in the image. Artists and designers will be able to use their fingers or a special stylus that's available from Adobe in the Sketch application I am not an artist, and the image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website will certainly offer absolute proof to that statement. Even so, it illustrates that the application is very responsive to pressure, even when the implement that's being used to draw is just a finger. Remember finger painting in kindergarten? In fact, I found that I can draw better using just a finger than I can draw with a pen. Probably my younger daughter, the graphic artist, would be able to explain why that is so. But real artists can use sketch to create far more than just a smiley face, finger-painting image. The true power of the application is that it can be used by an artist in a meeting with a client or creative team. Sketches the artist makes there can be reviewed immediately. The client or creative team can see what the artist has in mind, and approve it then and there... make recommendations. Then when the artist is back at the desktop, the sketch from the tablet can be imported and immediately used as the basis for a project. This is a tool that's going to eliminate a lot of frustration while speeding projects toward completion. It's almost enough to make me wish I could actually draw. Unlike freehand drawing, straight line drawing or drafting is something I can do, and Adobe Line brings drafting to tablet-sized devices. You'll see a drawing on the TechBiter Worldwide website has a lot of straight lines on it. That's something I could have created. I didn't. It's an image that was provided by Adobe. I could have managed to do something like this, The tablet has built-in features that make straight line drawing really easy, but it can also be used with Adobe Ink, that's the stylus I mentioned earlier that can be used with Sketch, or with a special ruler tool called Slide. And take a look at the more complex example of some work done with line. As with Sketch, Line creates files that can be exported directly to Adobe desktop applications. As a result, field sketches become true starting points without the need to scan a paper sketch and then recreate the work. You will undoubtedly hear more from me about the various Adobe Creative Cloud applications in the coming weeks, but so far I just haven't had enough time to look at any of them. Road trips the old way, the kids would ask about every oh, 12 to 15 seconds, Are we there yet? Well, new technologies have eliminated paper maps, and even if your car isn't a connected car, electronic devices can give the kids the comforts of home. As long as you're within the range of your cell phone carrier's signal, and virtually all interstate highways are within the range of a cell phone carrier's signal. You can use a portable Wi-Fi hotspot device to create a network connection that will be available inside your car. General Motors provided a video this week that demonstrates some of the features that are available in new cars. Their example is a 2015 Buick LaCrosse. It includes built-in OnStar 4G LTE that allows passengers to connect up to seven mobile devices, such as tablets and laptops, to a built-in Wi-Fi hotspot in the vehicle. But even some low-end vehicles include GPS units, so you'll never need a map again. The 2014 Expediacom Road Rage report says that nearly 80% of Americans are using technology for directions and entertainment in cars. By nearly 80%, I mean 78% exactly. Manufacturers, both automotive and electronic, still need to address safety issues involving distracted drivers, or we have to depend on people to have the common sense not to compute and drive. So we have to depend on the manufacturers, because people aren't going to do it. There's no question, though, that navigation technology can help drivers, and entertainment technology can keep the passengers happy. When you're driving, though, please do pay attention to what you're doing. You'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's from KTVU Television in Oakland, California. What you'll see is an automobile that has been all but crushed by a truck. The driver of the truck was playing with his cell phone and didn't notice the traffic had stopped. He plowed into the back of the car at 60 miles an hour. Two people in the back seat were killed. When you're driving... Don't be an idiot. In short circuits, are you wondering if Google is killing the Nexus? That's what some rumors have suggested. Fortunately, there doesn't seem to be any truth to the rumor. I say fortunately because the Nexus 7 is one of the most outstanding bits of hardware that I have ever owned. A new version of the operating system is scheduled for release later this year, and Google says a new version of the Nexus tablet will be ready at the same time. The new version of the operating system is called Android L for now, and Google is working on a program that will make it easier for additional manufacturers to build Android devices. Android L was previewed late in June. L is just a code name, and Google will undoubtedly give it a clever name with a reference to Candy. L completely reworks the operating system's appearance, and it adds a bunch of features that will allow it to power Android TV and Android Auto devices. By a bunch, I mean something like 5,000. Included among the updates, an updated interface for Gmail, extra options to set the device to a do-not-disturb state, and a new theme that all but disappears. Notifications have been improved, and combined with the lock screen multitasking has been improved, and overall performance. Oh, and the already excellent graphics capabilities of the tablets will be even better on the new devices. So I'll probably have to say at some time, hey, that's one L of an operating system. Amazon and T-Mobile are calling foul over charges by the Federal Trade Commission that they have charged consumers for things consumers haven't purchased. The FTC filed suit in Seattle against T-Mobile, and the Federal Communications Commission is also investigating. The federal agency says that T-Mobile billed consumers for subscriptions to premium text services, and that those text services were never authorized by the account holder. T-Mobile then collected 40% of the monthly fee. T-Mobile says that allegations are unfounded and complained that it has been working hard to change the way the wireless industry operates. T-Mobile CEO John Laguerre says he's disappointed that the FTC has chosen to file this action against what he calls the most pro-consumer company in the industry rather than filing suit against the real bad actors. The FTC had been negotiating with T-Mobile for several months, but wasn't able to reach an agreement on how refunds would be handled. The FTC is also preparing for legal action against Amazon and plans to file suit if the company refuses to comply with the terms that the agency has stipulated. Amazon says it will fight the charges. According to Amazon, the FTC is pushing for a deal similar to the one reached with Apple earlier this year. Apple refunded more than $32 million and agreed to change its billing practices to confirm that customers intended to make a purchase. Amazon says its policies already comply with the standards that the FTC has set forth in the Apple case, and the company already makes refunds for accidental purchases. You've already heard about Facebook's experiment that attempted to modify users' emotional reactions by modifying their news feeds, The way the information was presented made Facebook sound rather more manipulative than it really is. Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg apologized this week for poor communication, and she tried to justify the experiment. Sandberg characterized the experiment as ongoing research that many companies do to test different products. A Facebook researcher released information describing the test of nearly 700,000 users' emotional reactions during a one-week period. The users who were being tested had not been notified in any way. The problem, critics said, was that the information was withheld from users. Doing so fails basic standards that are in place for most academic and government research projects. But Facebook says it was merely poor communications. new law that went into effect in Canada on Canada Day is intended to reduce spam and email clutter. By the way, Canada Day is July 1st, Tuesday of this past week. The new law won't, of course, have the desired effect any more than the CAN-SPAM Act has reduced spam in the United States. In fact, for several weeks, the new law caused a huge increase in what could only be considered spam. The new law states that emailers must have either implied Or express permission to send email to Canadian citizens. The law is also supposed to apply to U.S. companies that send email to Canadians, but enforcement might be a little problematic. In the weeks leading up to the effective date for the new law, Canadians found themselves all but submerged in millions of messages with subjects such as urgent action required. You'd have to act quickly if you wanted to continue to receive email from the sender. Many of those messages probably were not needed. That's because the Canadian law allows implied consent. If a business has an ongoing relationship with a customer, then implied consent is assumed. The law defines that ongoing relationship as any purchase made within the previous two years. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Lynn and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.